now, uh, today uh, is really the second part in this series called Financially Healthy Spirituality. Now, I realize some of you immediately, you're hearing finances again, and you're like, really, Drew, again? This preacher guy is going to talk about money again? Uh, if you're not a Christian here, welcome. Uh, you're probably like, what? Like, when do the Christmas messages start? That's what I came here for. Well, today, what I hope to do is give you a sense of, again, a different way of approaching what uh, the way that we approach money, especially this idea of generosity, comes for, to us from, uh, as Christians. So on one hand, uh, many people, when they talk about giving and generosity, they talk about it as in, hey, serve these areas of need. This organization that needs it, let's serve in a way it's almost charitable giving or pity giving or something like that. Or some of us, you know, there might be some law, like legalism around giving and things like that. But actually today, I want to talk about a word that I think fundamentally describes what we're all called to do as Christians, um, and how that relates actually to this idea of generosity. And it's this word, faith. Faith. In fact, we're going to explore in the scriptures, what do the scriptures have to say to us about faith? Um, Check out what it says in the book of Hebrews, what the author writes to the church. The author writes, without faith, it is impossible. Can I hear you say impossible? impossible? Impossible to please God. Here's what impossible means. Impossible means not possible. Uh, I know, pretty stunning there. Faith is absolutely essential when it comes to our walk with God. What does it look like, though, to walk in faith? Now, here's the thing. Faith is uh, this idea that when we, as people, respond in faith, there's two parts of faith. There's the nature of faith. Faith uh, is humble and surrendered, hopefully, to God. It's not arrogant and I have faith in myself. And there's a second part of it. It's not only the nature of faith, but there's the object of faith. What are we putting our faith in? Now, here as Christians, we put our faith in the God of the universe that we believe created the universe, sent Jesus into the world to live and die on our behalf, and we trust Uh, Jesus, and uh, we experience the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. This is the triune God. This is what we believe as Christians, that God has revealed himself through the person of Jesus. And as a result, we can trust who this Jesus person is that we learn about in the scriptures. This is the object of our faith. Now, here's the thing about faith, though. How does faith, our faith, end up working with what God does in our lives? Because if the object of our faith is this God who created the world and everything in it, where does our faith come in? There's this, actually this stunning kind of story. Um, Jesus, of course, when he walked here on earth, he did many miracles. He opened the eyes of the blind. He healed the sick. He taught with great authority. Check out this story, though, that comes to us in Matthew chapter 13. Look at what it says. It says, coming to his hometown, Jesus began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? I mean, don't you love these questions? I mean, if you have questions about whether Jesus was a historical figure, I mean, here's questions. They're like, we know his mom. Like, his mom Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Because they were so familiar with Jesus and his family. They're like, really? This person is doing all these miracles? Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. Now, look at this other clue that comes to us about Jesus, who's already been doing all these miracles. Look at what it says. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Now, that is stunning. The reason why it's stunning is because 
Other miracles that Jesus has done, let me wait for the siren to pass here. Other miracles that Jesus has done has already been shown like Jesus' tremendous power, regardless of the disposition of faith of the people. And yet here in this moment, the text points out that Jesus does not do many miracles because of the lack of faith that's present there. And so as a result, there's almost this intermingling of the way that God works in God's power and the way that we exercise our faith. There's some sort of synergy or integration between those two things. Now, James, who's actually the brother of Jesus, who follows Jesus, I mean, I mean, what a witness for following Jesus, right? Even Jesus' brother is willing to say Jesus is the Son of God. Can you imagine if your sibling were to, actually, don't imagine that. But nonetheless, here's what James says when it comes to faith. Look at what it says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. That's good that you believe that. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Here's what James is basically saying. See, faith integrates with what God is doing, and the way God works is somehow rewards our faith, and yet at the same time, here's what James says. When it comes to faith, faith is more than simply just a disposition of the heart or an attitude Faith is actually needs to be accompanied by action, by doing something about it. It's not enough simply to say, I believe God, I trust you, God. It must be accompanied by some sort of action. Now, this is what James is talking about. And as a result, here's how faith is defined. Faith, then, is trust in action. It's actually doing something. So then we, as it relates to our relationship with God, we are to be a people who walk by faith. We're constantly encouraged to walk by faith. Now, what does it mean to walk by faith? It's more than simply saying, I believe God. It's actually working or doing things off of that belief because that's what faith truly looks like. In fact, Paul actually introduces a metaphor that even one-ups this idea of faith and action. Check this out. In his letter to the church in Corinth, look at what he writes. He writes, do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Any marathon runners here? Yes. Welcome. Welcome back, guys. You made it. Run in such a way as to get the prize. So he's using this metaphor of athletic training. Look at what it says. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Lord, help whatever the sirens are going to. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. The metaphor that Paul is talking about, he's saying, listen, us, as we aim to follow Jesus with all of our hearts, 
Do it in such a way as if you're a runner aiming to get a prize. Give everything you have to it. In other words, he's basically saying when it comes to faith and exercising your faith that is accompanied by action, exercise that faith. You need to be like you're in strict training, like you're going to a trainer and you're doing things that are difficult and hard so that you can grow and exercise faith in new ways so that you can be like someone who's like a runner who's running to get a prize. Now, here's the reality, right? Many of us here today, here, let's just, here's a social agreement that we're making. I, I believe this is true of you all that the reason why you came is that there's at least a small desire to want to grow, to change uh, you're here because you're like, I want to be challenged in ways that would be instructive and changing, life-changing for me. Now, in that sense, if that's you, and again, I believe that every single one of us at least has this small desire. Here's what I'm about to do. I'm about to give a hard teaching, everyone. See, did I sufficiently prepped you for this. I'm going to say things that are hard, but just like if you were to come into a gym and I was your trainer, and you were to say, I want to be in tip-top physical condition, and if I were to say to you, oh, yeah, you actually... Um, I was going to say, you look like you, no, but like, if I were to say, you know what, um, yeah, let's, let's work on getting you in tip-top condition, and then you were to tell me, the first thing I need to do is change my diet, because right now, all I'm eating is fried chicken and Cheetos for lunch every day. Now, me as a trainer, if I heard that, and what if you heard from me as a trainer, and I said to you, that's an amazing diet. In fact, you should keep up that diet. Most of you would be like, that's not a very good trainer. Or some of you are like, that's a really good trainer. Where can I sign, <laughs> Where can I sign up? Right, but for a trainer, you'd expect a trainer to be like, no, listen, I'm gonna call you out when it comes to your diet, the way that you're training, what you're putting into your body, how much you're exercising. Well, here's what I'm gonna do right now and in the rest of this message. I'm gonna challenge you and me and all of us. I'm gonna challenge us to start exercising faith. To start stretching out, doing things that might feel uncomfortable. Why? Because this idea of faith that is accompanied by action, we need to exercise this from time to time. I mean, this is essentially what Paul is saying when he's saying go into strict training. We exercise our faith. I remember when I, was first, I first became a Christian, I was filled with wonder and awe, and I believed that God could do anything. And then I got to college, and I became more mature. And, or in some ways, I just became older. And as a result, I grew a bit more critical and a bit more cynical. And then I moved to New York. And of course, to be a proper New Yorker, of course, I had to be even more critical and even more cynical. There's a way, right, that faith, this is what happens to us, right? Our faith becomes stale. Have you ever felt this way? Like your faith, your own faith has gotten stale. For whatever reason, you're not, you haven't exercised your faith. And as a result, you find yourself in these doldrums of your own life and journey, but you're, you realize like you're not exercising faith in any way. Now, today the invitation is for us, would you begin to exercise faith? I remember um, before I went to seminary school, which is like graduate school where I was learning theology, Greek, and Hebrew, and studying scriptures, taking classes on preaching. I remember I was working, I was interning at a church in Queens, and I was full of so much passion. I believed that God could do anything, and I lived with such passion. I was um, 
living, that full year, I lived off of $7,500 for the entire year. So I was paying $200 in rent, and I was taking home a lot of church leftovers for food. And that's, but it was nothing to me. It was almost like I was filled with joy, brimming with hope. And so here's what ends up happening. I end up going to seminary school. So I'm in graduate school, learning theology and everything else for three years. Uh, in 2005, I graduated from seminary, and I remember my first sermon that I was preaching at, my church in, at the church in Queens. I remember I preached the sermon, and I went to my mentor, and I was like, Pete, what did you think of this sermon? And he said, oh, I, thought it was, I thought it was good, I thought it was good. And he goes, but I think you were a better preacher before you went to seminary. And I was like, really? And I was like, you told me to go to seminary, though. And he's like, he's like I know, I know. Seminary, it was important for you to learn theology and how to study the scriptures. He said, but now it's time for you to learn how to get the seminary out of you. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, what, what changed? Over these three years, what changed? And he says to me, he looks at me and he goes, fuego, which means fire in Spanish. He said, you've lost your fire. And it's time for you to get the fire back. And it was kind of stunning to hear those words because here I was, I I thought, here I am studying and reading the scriptures and yet somehow my faith had lost its fire. The same passion and zeal and hopefulness and confidence in God had grown stale. You see, each one of us at different moments, we need to start exercising faith. Uh, Maybe you today, you've felt a little bit lukewarm or you've said, God, I long to hear about the works of God in my life. I've seen it happen for other people, but it hasn't happened for me. Well, here's the invitation. You and I, we both, we all need to start exercising our faith. Now, here's where the hard teaching comes in. Here's the number one way right now that I'm going to contend for you to exercise your faith, to believe in God, to trust God. It's to give your money away. Some of you are like, when was, when's that Christmas message coming again? Like Jesus born in a manger? That's right. The one most tangible way for you to exercise faith is to give your money away, is to be generous. It's the most tangible thing you can do as a way of stretching, as a way of saying, God, I trust that when I trust you with this, something as close as money. Now, I, I mentioned this last week. I mean, so many of us, when it comes to money, some of us, yeah, maybe the, the issue that we have with money is spending it profusely. Or maybe others of us, like me, it's about saving it and this view that I'll never have enough money. And so as a result, money, ultimately, I can pray for hours on end. I can say, God, you are the most valuable person in my life. I believe that you saved my soul. But don't touch my 401k. (laughs) Like, I trust you enough, but not with my 401k. Not with my job. Not with my hard earned money. But do you see the most tangible way that you and I can exercise faith is when when we give something as tangible as money. 
is when we release it to God and say, God, this is yours. Now, that feeling of like, oh my goodness, is he really telling me? Like right now, straight to my face that I should be giving away my money to exercise faith? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's one of the hardest things to do. But here we are. We made this contract, remember? That here I am. I'm I'm here to challenge you. I'm here to say, like, if you want to grow in your faith, one of the most tangible ways that you and I, that we can grow, is by exercising. Now, I wanted to read a couple of stories related to money and faith from people in our congregation. I want to read these testimonies of people who notice they're not going to talk about charitable giving, which is great. We're giving to extending hope. I'm not, I'm not saying give because I, I'm saying give because your faith needs to expand. And here's a testimony of a couple of people in our congregation. Look at what they write or say. Money always had a strong grip on me. I find myself thinking more like Judas than Mary when I read about Mary worshiping and honoring Jesus by pouring expensive perfume on his feet. After Mary does this, this extravagant form of worship, Judas is like, wait a minute, what about that money? It could have been used for all these other things. And the person is identifying with Judas. So when I took a a step of faith and committed to the For the City campaign, our invitation to give above and beyond, with the biggest pledge of my life. As with all the things regarding money, I was extremely anxious. For me, and I believe the same for everyone who will take the step to just let go of the comfort and control you think money provides, God showed me my concerns and fears with giving money were completely false. With my step of faith, God carried me through very difficult times, God showed me in tangible ways he wants me to prosper and continue to thrive. And God let me personally experience a small slice of the beauty of Mary's heart of worship in that moment when Judas and others were in the presence of Jesus. In many, many ways, I fell and continue to fall short. But even with my smallish faith step, God still met me in amazing ways. And I believe he wants to amaze you too. Anonymous hope attendee. Here's another story. Now, as I share this other testimony, I realize some of these percentages are going to shock some of us. But I I didn't ask this person to share any of this specificity. But I thought it would be helpful for us about someone who's trying to take a step of faith. Remember exercise? This is someone who's trying to take a step of faith. Here's what it says. Last May, when I couldn't afford giving 10% and financial stress was all-consuming. In other words, this person is a New Yorker. Anyone relate to this? Financial stress is all-consuming, can't afford to give 10%. I made a decision to take a leap of faith by giving 20% as if planting a stake of faith. I knew the grip money had on me, so it was my war cry to God. Interestingly enough, after I made the decision, it felt like a huge burden was lifted from me because it wasn't on me anymore. And within a few months, things started to pan out strongly in my favor. I was confident God would move, but I didn't expect it to be so quick. Look at what he writes, though. Sorry, or she. But when I thought, <laughs> but when I thought my period of testing was over, The security I thought I had was taken away. 
I mean, isn't this how God is sometimes? Like, yes, God is working on my rewarding faith. And then all of a sudden it's like, actually, God, where are you? I can't believe I made this commitment. Leading into my second of three deeply stressful periods. But in each of these moments, it was just a matter of redirecting my focus on God, staying committed to the 20%, trusting him because he always came through. Every single month. His ways are so unpredictable, but new clients, new deals, and avenues of income I didn't even expect. But most importantly, he not only came through financially, but spiritually. Because as I write this now, in my restored quiet time, I am more grateful than ever for everything I have, but more importantly, for the opportunity to experience God's love. There's still that hesitation when I give, and I'm not entirely out of the woods yet, but oh, am I expectant. The story comes from, both of these stories come from our congregation. What might God be inviting you to, to exercise your faith? Have you grown stale? Have you wondered whether God could ever move? I mean, it, it, the reality is, I mean, for me, I, I feel this all the time. I feel like my faith gets stale, and I realize I need to stretch and begin to exercise, go into training so that I could believe again in the wonder and in the power of God. Now, I realize as you're listening to these stories, you're like, you know what? That's a great, great story, Drew, but you know what? I've never seen God come through for me this way. It's great. I hear these stories of God's provision for others. I, I never hear it for myself. Well, here's the question I want to ask you. Have you ever taken a step of faith? Have you ever taken a step of faith, made a pledge of faith to God to see if God proves that God is who God says he is? John Orberg, he wrote a book, and the book was called If You Want to Walk on Water, You've got to get out of the boat. He's referencing the story of Peter, Simon Peter, who's in the boat with the disciples, and he sees Jesus walking on the water. He gets out of the boat, and he's walking on the water, and he, then he sees the waves, and then he starts to sink, and then Jesus rescues Peter. And what Orberg, what he outlines is he says, most people, when they read that story, they're like, I can't believe Peter. such a failure. I can't believe it. He was walking on water. Then he, he fell because of the, the waves that were buffeting the, you know, him and everything else, and he lost sight of Jesus. But here's what Orpah contends. But Peter actually walked on water. And there were 11 other guys in the boat that stayed in the boat. And here's what he says. If you want to walk on water, sometimes you have to get out of the boat. You have to take a step of faith. And maybe the reason why you have not experienced the fullness, the extravagant, miracle-giving God is because you've never also made a pledge of faith. You've never gotten out of the boat. You've never said, God, prove to me that you are who you say you are. I I realize for myself, my faith gets stale. And a few years ago, when we were doing the For the City campaign, we were inviting people to give above and beyond. And my wife and I, and this was uh, public, like we shared this uh, as we were in this pledge season of pledging. And honestly, I 
I felt like my faith was stale. And here I was giving this message on like people stepping out in faith, making this commitment, believing that God will provide. And so I remember during that time, my wife and I, like we were just praying through God, what would you have us commit to? Now, last week I shared that my salary uh, as a pastor of this church is $76,000 a year. Um, and some of you are like, well, how do, you, how do you make it then in the city on that salary? Um, I told you, it's my wife. Uh, I depend on my wife quite a bit. And so as a result, like, I, you know, and I was mentioning, like, I don't need your money. Got my wife. And uh, so I don't, I don't need your money. It's not, this is not about me here. I, like, but here's what happened. As we were kind of praying through, like, the this, this season of our lives, when, when we were inviting people to take faith steps of giving, Tina and I, and oftentimes we disagree, but the night before we were supposed to make our pledges, we came together, and we came with the same kind of idea. And it was basically that I would, I would donate my salary for two years, from 2020 to 2022, that we would give over $150,000 to the For the City campaign. And the fact that both of, both of us felt aligned in this, we both felt like this is crazy and ridiculous, and it feels like a faith step for us. But we said yes to it. And we ended up sharing publicly, not because we wanted people to say like, hey, look at how great we are. We wanted you to, people to say like, hey, this is where we are when it comes to finances. Like, we wanna believe that God is who God says God is. And as a result, out of faith, we're making this commitment. So we make this commitment and then a pandemic hit. And then I was just thinking, I was like, man, you know, when we made this pledge, was there something in the fine print about, like, in cases of global pandemics, we can renege on, these, on this commitment? But, of course, we, we just said, gosh, even in the midst of this, God, we're going to trust that you're going to come through. And God did. I told you that I'm, we're dependent also on my wife's salary and as a result, God provided more than we needed, even with me donating my salary from hope. Now, again, I don't share this to say, like, hey, look at how great we are. I share this to say, like, honestly, my, the grip of money is so big on me. I need to take steps of faith, make pledges to say, God, I want to trust you, believe that you are who you say you are, and as a result, make a commitment as a result. This is what it means to exercise faith. All of us get stale at different times. And, and the question is, will you start to make pledges? Will you start to say, God, I want to start exercising faith? Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's not where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. I mean, most of us, if I were to talk to anyone here, I think everyone here would be like, my heart is generous I want to be generous. I want to be kind. I love people. I want to be, I don't want to be selfish or anything like that. Everyone would say that. The big test is not where your heart is. It's where your money is. Where is your money? Because here's what Jesus says. Where your money is, that's where your heart is. The question is for you and for me, will we take steps of faith? Now, notice, I'm not talking about charitable giving. I'm talking about faith-filled giving, believing that when I release something, God, you are in control. I am not attached to this source of my security or approval or thinking that I have more than these other people. 
Instead, I can trust you. Now, we talked about the three basic ways to use money is give, save, spend. We talked about how the scriptures talk about the first thing. Now, if you're not a Christian here, here's what we believe. The first thing that Jesus calls us to is to first to live generously, to not keep things for ourselves, but to share, to be people who live for the good of others. This is where give, save, spend comes from. Now, I realize that invest is also part of that, perhaps with giving and saving, but the, the impulse of saying, God, I am not attached to money. In a faith step, I give this away. This is what we encourage. Now, some of us are in financial conditions right now where I want to invite you. We have a managing your money course that starts in January. Sign up for that. I recognize there's debt. There's positions that we've been in or family stuff that we've inherited that's put us in very difficult situations. But at the end of the day, what does it look like for us to begin to live and to walk by faith. Now, I realize some of you are like, oh, my goodness, this pastor guy keeps talking about this. He just wants my money. The church just wants my money. Well, listen, I told you, I love our church. I love our church. I think that we're living into give, save, spend. I mentioned last week that our church, just this year alone, our little church, that we will donate close to half a million dollars towards organizations that we love and support as well as organizations that, we, that rent from us from the facility on 31st and Park. I love our church. I love that we can live generously. And you know who's responsible for this? You all are. Because I believe this is a better way. A better way to live is to live generously. And the invitation for all of us is, will we all take part in this? So here's the invitation. Number one, if you're not giving The invitation is for you to start giving. Start giving something. I'm not saying give 20%. I'm not saying give 10%. Just pray before God. Say, God, I need to start exercising. I need to start exercising faith. My faith has grown stale. I want to expand my belief in who you are. I want to see God come through so that I could have my own God story. Well, here's the invitation. If you're not giving, my invitation is start giving. You're like, hey, listen, I don't give to organized religion, so I won't give to your church. Well, listen, our church is not that organized. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> don't, you don't have to give to our church. Give to a nonprofit that you love. Give to one of those organizations in Extending Hope, or just give to Extending Hope. Every single penny is going to go towards one of those organizations. I'm not talking about where you give. I'm talking about you taking a faith step of you saying, God, I'm going to make this pledge, believing that you are who you say you are. To believe that God will come through, that your attachment doesn't need to be in your money. And secondly, if you are giving, give more. Start exercising faith. Start doing something to exercise faith in a manner in which you can say, God, I do trust you. More than anything else, I trust and believe in you. Now, where in the world can this disposition come from? See, because here's the reality. Even when it comes to generosity, there are some people, like some philanthropists, who recognize like, their righteousness, their sense of I'm okay before God. It comes from the fact that they give so much. So isn't that wild how even in doing a good thing like giving so much, I can become someone who becomes proud and arrogant about it. And I could be someone who's like, you see that, God? You see how much I give, especially more than those other people? You You see, that kind of giving also misses the heart of God 
Because the whole principle around generosity, around releasing a faith-filled giving, that whole principle comes from a disposition that Paul talks about in Philippians 4. Look at what Paul writes. Paul says, I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, when I first read Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, I thought, I can become an NBA point guard. You know, like, be amazing. And God said, no. You're too small and too slow and too... (laughs) But you see, this passage is not about, like, you can somehow change your physical disposition. The, The passage is about, I know what it's like to have a lot, and I know what it's like to have a little. I can make it through any circumstance. In other words, there's a healthy detachment from my money. This is a story about the freedom that comes when someone is able to say, I'm free from money. The one way that you can demonstrate that you're free from money is when you're able to give it away. See, now how in the world is Paul able to do this? How in the world is Paul able to say, I'm free from money and the attachment that he gives to me? Why? Because Paul's attachment was not money and his attachment was not even in generosity. Who was his faith in? Is his faith in, oh, if you give things away, then God will bless you. Is that what Paul's faith was in? No. Paul's faith was always in Jesus. It was always in Jesus. And it's only when Paul could find his deepest sense of security in Jesus that he could be free and make statements like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Look at what Paul writes to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 8. Wait then, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God, the Father, who did not spare his own son, Jesus gave his very life for you and me. How will this God, who gave everything, even his very life, gave him up for us all, how will this God not also along with him graciously give us all things? I mean, do you see what Paul is writing? He's saying, God would not withhold from you. God's not stingy with you. When you release whatever you release to God, God is for you, and God has always been for you. And if you can trust that the same God who sent Jesus to die on a cross not withhold even his very life for you, do you see that you can relinquish anything that's keeping you from the fullness and the freedom that's found in surrendering to God's love. Do you see how that, it changes everything? See, for Paul, it was not generosity. It was not money. It wasn't these things that kept him. It was Jesus. The belief that a God of infinite love was a God who was for him and not against him. My question for you is, will you exercise faith? Will you trust that God is who God says God is.